Hello, Lake Church. How are we? Okay, everybody is still mingling and talking. <laughs> How are we tonight? Yeah, all right. Hallelujah. I'm doing good too. Thank you for asking. Um, so I was talking to Pastor Kevin and Pastor Rebecca tonight, and I was like, how would they open up service? Like, do you ever just think of that? Like, how how would they come up and open up service? And so tonight, I'm going to open you with a big smile, because that's normally how people, how I greet people. So hello, I'm Jaden, and it is so nice to be in the house of God with you tonight. And we are going to get on with announcements. And I had one brought to my attention last second, so I'm going to try to remember it. But Young at Heart is tomorrow at noon in the comments, and it is for 55 and older. And we, oh, at one o'clock, Dora just corrected me. Thank you, Miss Dora. Um, at one o'clock in the comments, so please come. It is a great and powerful time of fellowship and word brought, brought by John Barker. So come and join if you are 55 or older. Okay, so we also have our 2023 USB. This thing is power packed. Oh my gosh, it is power packed and I it is 39.99 for all the services in 2023. So make sure you go buy those at the bookstore. Next announcement is that we have our pastors, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Greg's book launch for Crossside. And we are super excited, so please come and join us at 6 o'clock out in the comments. We're going to have cupcakes and cookies, and they're going to be doing a Q&A, answering any unanswered questions for any of the books. It is going to be an awesome time of fellowship. Okay, next, we have Times of Manifestation, starting Sunday night. So I expect every single person in here to be here at 6 o'clock for the book launch and then for service. And we have services Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday as well. And then next, we have Wonder Woman Conference. Whoop, whoop! Yep, I am super excited about this. This is a $10 admission, so pretty cheap. But if you need help, just reach out to the Lake Church office and we can help you with that. And this is going to be a powerful time of fellowship and worship and we are going to have Woody Robinson ministering. It is going to be an awesome time of worship. All right, and next in our final announcement is Disclosure Conference. So if you want to get signed up, go to our Lake Church. Um, oh, I forgot to hold up the card, sorry. <laughs> our Lake Church uh, website, and we can get you hooked up with that. There is online 
and in person. So you can sign up either way and get that power-packed message. All right, next we're going to move off on the offering. So I... Man, offering is just such a blessing to me because I know that I'm giving my money to, to somewhere that is going to bless other people and bless this, this house that I'm under and the covering that I'm under. So just remember that tonight as you're giving your offering, just remember that you're giving it to the house of God and that when you give it, it's going to multiply and multiply and multiply in your life and in this house. So just remember that and I'm going to, the bucket's in the back so you can drop it off on your way out or you can hang on to it and drop it in one of these Vision 2025 because, come on. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Vision 2025. I'm going to add this announcement because I think it's important. So, (laughs) Vision 2025. If you have not gave to this, it is going to bless your life and it's going to bless this church. So, just make sure you give to this. It's paying off all the debt of this, of of the church. So just give to this. It is very important. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Kevin. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you bless this offering as it comes forth, Father, that you just, that you just multiply it, Father. I just thank you for this message that is going to be brought forth, that it will penetrate the hearts, Lord, that it will change and transform people tonight. And Lord, I pray that you just have your hand upon upon the congregation tonight, Lord, that you just lead them and you guide them into all truth and all knowledge. And Father, I just thank you and I praise your mighty name. In your name, amen. Amen. Don't y'all love (laughs) Jaden? She brings the spunk. (laughs) Uh, I remember when she first started doing worship, she was doing a song. um, Anyway, she she really turned loose on it. And so the next time she was going to do it, I told her, I said, you better bring that spunk with that girl. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway very good we're going to uh finish up (laughs) our long teaching on the book of galatians tonight and and we are no matter what we're going to finish because even if i don't get to the end of it i'm just going to read whatever verses are left and you just have to figure it all out on your own (laughs) Because next week is times of manifestation, so we're moving on, and then Pastor is going to be starting something else on Wednesday night. Don't know exactly what that's going to be yet, but we usually reserve our Wednesday nights for verse-by-verse studies in the Bible. And I've had so many people tell me that they really love uh, Wednesday nights, because on Sundays, you know, a lot of topical teaching you get a real broad and wide understanding. But verse by verse, you go deep. Because you're forced to confront verses that you may not understand. Sometimes when people don't understand them, they'll just skip over them. You know? 
And uh, it's a challenge to be up here and do that because you're wrestling publicly with the Word. And so um, I really love Wednesday nights because I'm a teacher, and so that's what I like to do. Let me say it. Let me change that. I'm a treacher. (laughs) A combination of teacher-preacher. So you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes you get a little bit of both. Jeff always says, what are you going to do tonight, teach or preach? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) But the Lord is good. So I don't know about you, but this teaching on the book of Galatians has been rich to me, which it's a book that I've been studying for a few years now. And I was very honored and blessed to be able to share what God has shown me in it. Uh, over these last few months. And so we're going to get in. Um, I left off last week talking about God's system of justice, which is sowing and reaping. So God isn't necessarily dispensing blessing uh, or cursing, but there's a system in the earth. We talked about that last week. Uh, God is not mocked. For, he's put a law in place. That whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. Okay, so we talked about that. And so, if you want to know more about it, you have to go back and watch last week's. Because <laughs> you know how I am. I'm about to slip into going backwards. <laughs> but we're not going to do it. So, I'm in verse 11. So, if you want to turn to Galatians 6, verse 11. And then... At the end, so I'm going to cut it. We're not going to go the full time. We're going to do some question and answers. So we've had people turn in a few questions on the cards. We're going to do that, something new we started. At the end of every verse-by-verse teaching, we're going to have a Q&A so people can get their questions answered. So at the end, Miss Rebecca is going to read some questions. We'll address those, see if we can clear some things up for you, okay? All right, so in verse 11... The Apostle Paul begins the conclusion and uh, salutation of his message. And he says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now there's a few different thoughts on what this means. Large letters. The first one, which I completely reject, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, just so you know, because you'll probably run across it sometime. But some theologians have theorized that Paul was writing with large letters because he had an eye disease and he couldn't see very well. (laughs) Man, you guys are hardcore. (laughs) It's interesting, though, those who ascribe to that theory are the ones who don't believe in healing. So, Because what people tend to do (laughs) is they take... This is something we teach in Train Bible College in biblical interpretation is that exegetical study of the Scripture is you let the Bible say what it wants to you. But eisegesis is that you take your preconceived ideas and you make them fit by finding Scriptures that seem to support your idea. So there really isn't any explicit scriptures that would support that fact. It's all implicit. They say, well, 
in earlier chapters, Paul said, I came to you in, in infirmity. So they say, see, he was sick, you know. But actually, if you understand, and we did the background on this, Paul was actually stoned to death at Lystra. So I'm sure he was in quite the infirmity after that. Um, <laughs> I mean, God raised him from the dead. He went right back in and began preaching again. But I would say it's pretty easy to see that what his infirmity was, not an eye disease. Um, another theory about this is, um, has a little more, I would say, you know, ground to it. And it is the, the idea that Galatians and Hebrews were actually one book. In fact, in some of the earlier canon uh, lists, uh, Galatians and Hebrews were side by side, which we know in now in the New Testament they're separated by quite a few books. But in earlier canon lists, they were side by side. And the book of Hebrews, if you think Paul wrote it, well, he doesn't start it out the way he does most of his letters, grace and peace to you. I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. But uh, Hebrews starts out like it's already, you know, already in a uh, conversation. And so some people surmise that maybe those two books were together because they really deal with the same issue of legalism. Although Galatians deals with Gentiles and Hebrews deals with Hebrews, Israel, people of Israel. And so that's the second one. But the third one, I think, has a lot of merit as well. I'm not going to say, you know, anyway, because there's no really way of saying this for sure. But I'm just presenting to you the ideas. One way that you can interpret this scripture is to say, no, note how heavily... I have pressed upon the pen. Now, if you think about it, Paul was uh, very intense in this letter. In fact, it's the, it's the hardest, harshest criticism that he levied against any of the churches. Uh, I talked about earlier uh, in the teaching that when it came to Corinth, they were involved in all kinds of division among, in the church, strife, contention, immorality, uh, drunkenness at the Lord's table, all kinds of crazy stuff. And the Apostle Paul reproved them, but he always reminded them of who they were in Christ. In Galatians, he blasts them with heavy criticism. He calls them, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You've turned away from Christ. You know, it is heavy, heavy correction. And so, actually, if you look at the original language, you could, you could interpret it as how heavily I pressed upon the pen. Well, large letters may not be large this way, but when you write heavily, they are like bolded. Or in texting, you know, when somebody writes you in all caps? <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was texting Trevor the other day, and... When I hit send, I must have hit something. It went across in all caps, and he takes me back. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> I have no idea. I was saying something nice, but, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? It's emphasis. And uh, that's what I believe he's getting across, is that he is really emphasizing uh, what's being said. It's so crucial. In fact, you know, you have um, 
reproof and correction, and I teach this in biblical interpretation as well. The word reproof really means to just make an adjustment, okay? And so I always talk about like if you're driving down the road, if you're driving down the road and you're between the lines and your one wheel kind of crosses the line a little bit and you turn the wheel and you get back in, that's a reproof. But correction is you're going the wrong way. You need to turn completely around. And that's what he was saying to the Galatians. He said, you've departed from Christ. You're no longer operating in the principles of grace and faith. For you've left those and you've turned to law and works. And so he was bringing this heavy, heavy correction. So I can see how these large letters would have been that he was just really emphasizing what he was saying. And he says that he wrote with his own hand, which Paul's, um, you know, what he normally did was he had a scribe and he would dictate and they would write for him. But this uh, phrase of writing with his own hand is in other places in the scripture. In fact, I wrote a couple down. Let me, let me share these with you. We'll turn to them. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21 He says, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So he ended it by, he dictated the whole letter until right there, and he wrote the ending to kind of put his signature on his letter. But in Galatians... He wrote the letter. This was too important. So he was writing with his own hand in order to stress the noteworthiness and the uh, significance of what was in this letter. Of course, all of his writings were inspired by the Holy Spirit and the Scripture. So they all were. But he was uh, desperate in his writing to the Galatians, because they had turned so far away from truth that they were in danger of leaving Christ altogether, you know. And as we've gone through this teaching, we've seen how serious it was. And so he was writing to them with his own hand. In verse 12, he says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Now, this is talking about the legalizers, the Judaizers who had come in to the Galatians who were Gentiles. And when Paul went in and he preached in the region of Galatia, he preached the gospel. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Justification as a free gift by grace through faith alone with no works added to it. In fact, Paul never brought up the law to them. He didn't teach them the law. He didn't teach them the feasts. He didn't teach them the new moons. He didn't teach them uh, any of the observances of the old covenant, Mosaic law. Why? Because the Gentiles were never under the law. The law was given to Israel as a nation alone. But Jewish believers had come along behind Paul, and they were compelling them to be circumcised, which was an initiation into keeping the whole law. And so Paul was upset because what they were doing was turning their faith from what Christ had done to what they were doing for Christ. Let me say that again. The, the problem with it is it, cha- it, 
It changes your faith from being what, in what Christ has done for you to what you're doing for Christ. It turns you from uh, the righteousness of God to self-righteousness, to trying to justify yourself in the sight of God by your own works, to trying to provide your own right standing with God through your works. And when we understand the purpose of the law, we know that the law was given to show us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law was never given as a means of salvation. The law was given as a measure to show us our need for salvation. It was to show us that no one on the basis of merit could be right with a holy God. For we have all sinned and fall short. And I'm going, I just can't help it. I'm going to go back. But <laughs> God's standard of righteousness is absolute perfection. So that's what people don't understand. It's not that people misunderstand the gospel. It's they misunderstand the law. They, they don't understand that if you've sinned one time, you're guilty of all of it. So if a man is to be justified in the sight of God by his own performance, you have to be perfect. And not just today, from the beginning of your life to the end. If you've sinned one time in your entire life, you're disqualified. So I have good news for you tonight. You're disqualified. <laughs> which, causes, which causes you to, in your mind, elevate the work of Jesus. Because you realize it's your only hope of salvation. To trust in what he's done for us and not try to add to it with what we are doing for him. Now, our lifestyle of holiness is a response to the goodness of God. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 2 says the goodness of God leads men to repentance. The revelation of the grace of God and the goodness of God works effectually in our heart to give us the desire and the ability to live for God. <laughs> we realize no longer I'm trying to earn. See, we're not made right with God by achieving, but by believing. And not by merit, but by mercy. No one will be saved by merit. Every person in heaven will be there undeservedly. Oh, man. So he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, he's pointing out that the motive of these people who came along and tried to put them under the law was that they wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. Boy, that's what legalism is all about. It's about looking the part. See, the Pharisees, this is the, this is the Pharisee uh, syndrome. The Pharisees, they wanted to look good to men. And they did look good on the outside. Jesus told them this. He said, you are on the outside whitewashed tombs, but inside full of dead men's bones and rotting flesh. So they were washed, the, he said, you wash the cup on the outside, but the inside is not. See, it's the whole religious, uh, look good on the outside, but not worried about the inside. God comes through Jesus and does a work in us that begins to work out of us by faith. 
He says, these would compel you to be circumcised. In other words, these would compel you to take on the yoke of the law. Because circumcision was just the entry point. It was just the initiation into taking on the whole law. Because the law didn't require you to just pick out the parts you want to keep. It required you to keep all of it. He says, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You see, at the time especially, and even today, persecution, when you stand up for the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer persecution. In that day, they were persecuted by the Jews and the unbelieving and the believing Jews persecuted the church everywhere it tried to expand. The greatest enemy of the gospel was not the devil. (laughs) The, The greatest enemy of the gospel isn't the devil today. It's religious people. Oh, man. See, Paul could have real easily avoided persecution. All he had to do is just say, well, yeah, you, you have to get saved by receiving Jesus, but then get circumcised, and then the persecution would have been gone. That's all he had to do. But Paul would not compromise. I'm so thankful that Paul would not compromise the pure message. He contended for the grace of God, and he would not be moved. He wasn't going to give in. He could have gave in and avoided the the beatings, avoided the lashes, avoided the stonings, avoided all of those things if he just would have compromised the message even just a little bit. So these people were not only adamant about what they were desiring the Gentiles do, but they were also afraid of persecution. Well, I tell you what, we need some, we need some believers who are not afraid of persecution. And I'm not talking about from the world. I'm talking about from the church. Mm. The cross of Christ is the source of persecution. Because it takes... Religious people don't like the gospel because it takes away from their religious pride. People who are in religious pride, they love works because it gives them a platform to boast from. It gives them a platform to boast from. Look at these verses in Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is talking about this because what it is is self-righteousness. It's turning from the righteousness of God to self-righteousness. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, look at this, and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. I love this because Paul says, listen, if you want to compare, 
Because that's what self-righteousness is about. It's about comparison, competition, and criticism. He says, if you want to compare your works to mine, just line them up. Because there's nobody who's going to be able to stand up to my works of righteousness. Look at this, what he lists off. Circumcised the eighth day. So according to the law, all Hebrew children were to be circumcised the eighth day. He says, of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, which is the best tribe... Hebrew of the Hebrews, which means he knew the Hebrew tongue. He had the original language. Concerning the law of Pharisee, so of the highest level. So among his brethren, he was of the highest, uh, most um, stringent sect of all of the religious people. That he was trained under the greatest rabbi of his time, Gamaliel. So he had the honor and respect of everyone. These were things he accomplished in his flesh. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Here's the thing. He was so zealous for God that he was going out rounding up men, women, and children to be imprisoned and even murdered. And he thought he was doing it for God. But you can be zealous and unenlightened. Concerning, and here's the one, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You know what? He didn't say he was sinless, but blameless. See, the law had the sacrificial system. So when you sinned, you had to bring certain sacrifices and stuff. So he wasn't saying he was sinless. But he said he was blameless because he observed the sacrifices, the ceremonies, and everything the law prescribed. He went through it all and he did it all. But it still didn't make him sinless. He was blameless, but he wasn't sinless. And the righteousness... See, if a man could be perfect, he could earn right standing with God. If a man could keep the law perfectly, he could earn being justified in the sight of God. But the, but the thing is, is that no man could. Because we all were born of Adam, we all were born in sin, we were all born with the sin nature, therefore all have sinned and fall short. But Paul said, according to the law, he was blameless. But look at this, what things were gained to me? These I counted loss for Christ. Man, his pedigree, his performance, all of the applause of men and the respect of men, he gave it all up when he realized that uh, nothing, none of it mattered. Think about it. None of it mattered. All these things that were gained to him He counted loss so that he could gain Christ. See, when you come to receive Christ, you have to realize you don't have anything to add. I think too many people have not understood the law right, so they come and they think they just need Jesus to help them out a little bit. Like, you know what, I'm a pretty good person, really. I just, you know, I have a few issues. Right? I mean, that's what a lot of people think. I I mean, I'm a good person. That's what the world preaches. We're all good people. 
if we just come together, you know. No, you know what the, what the gospel reveals? That you couldn't, you were so bad, you couldn't be rehabilitated. <laughs> Behavior modification couldn't help you. The gospel reveals you had to be put to death and raised to newness of life in Christ. A brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. If you haven't come to that place, you haven't come to, you have to come to the end of yourself to get to the beginning of God. Mm, Too many people haven't come to the end of themselves yet. So many, every religion in the world is based on the idea that man can perform to a level of righteousness that God will accept. And on the basis of our works, we can earn heaven. That's every religion. Every ism in the world is based on these elementary principles. That by some sort of creed, some sort of moral standard, we can thereby earn by our own performance, be granted into heaven in the life to come. But the gospel is not that. The gospel and the death of Jesus on the cross reveals how bad sin is and how bad our condition was. That Jesus, God had to become a man to be our substitutionary sacrifice. To take our place, to die for us, as us, and crucify us with Christ so that our old man could be put to death and we could be raised to newness of life. One with Him. Amen. He says, yes, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him. That's where you're really going to find your life, in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Here's the good news. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive as a gift God's righteousness. That's what it means to be justified. The word justified means to be declared not guilty. See, the law declares us all guilty. But the gospel, those who believe it, declares us all not guilty. As a gift. I'm going to say that again. The law declares all men guilty. And it had to come first because men didn't know it. They were operating in a... In a um, relative righteousness, which means they looked around, and as long as they were better than the person down the street, they thought they were right with God. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like those people. That's relative righteousness. That's what people were operating in. They thought they were okay because they looked around and they're like, I'm I'm really basically a good person. Look at these evil sinners. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and, and all men were sinners, but they didn't know it till the law revealed it. But do you know in Christ, all men are justified, but they don't know it until the gospel reveals it? Mm. And so by simply believing, God gives us what we could never earn. He gives us His righteousness. In fact, 1 Corinthians says that Jesus has become unto us righteousness from God. You know what that means? I know a lot of people struggle with this. That means I'm as righteous as Jesus because Jesus is my righteousness. Oh, come on now. Not in my own actions. Not in myself, but because God has imputed His righteousness. He has imparted His righteousness to me as a free gift by faith in what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. Because in His life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, He met every legal demand that the law had against us because of sin. Every legal demand. Fully met. Debt fully paid. Everything that needed to be done. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament just pointed to the one perfect sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. God suspended His justice all through the Old Covenant. He received those animal sacrifices as just like a promissory note for the debt to be paid in full later when Jesus died by one offering. He has satisfied God's justice forever. For every man for all time. Mm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know what? Religious people get nervous when you talk like that. You know why? It's like you're going to give people a license to sin. I tell you, people are sinning without a license. They're not looking for your approval. <laughs> But you listen, if, if you hear that and think, oh, good, that means I can go sin. Well, I would say you need to get born again. Because <laughs> when you get born again, he gives you a new heart, a new spirit, and you have a new desire and a new ability to begin to live and to walk with God. <laughs> Man, when you understand the gospel, the grace of God begins to work in your heart. You're so thankful, so grateful for what He did on your behalf. Something you could never do. We were hopelessly, helplessly lost in sin and death. And Jesus came. God came from heaven to earth. Jesus became a man. Became one of us. Was identified with us. Took our suffering. Took our shame. Took our guilt. Took our sin on Himself. Died under the penalty of it. Was buried. But God declared Him justified. And He was raised from the dead that's the proof that God accepted the payment that's why we believe on the resurrection to be saved why it's the proof that our sins are forgiven if our sins weren't dealt with fully if we weren't forgiven justified and made righteous Jesus would still be in the grave and we would still be in our sins how do I know I'm justified? How do I know I'm righteous? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's my su- he, was my, he was my substitute. Now he's my great high priest. Representing me at the throne of God. 
priest, high priests represent people to God. He is seated at the right hand of God, and the whole body of Christ is seated there in him. Hallelujah. Okay. Verse 13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so they can boast in your flesh. See, what he's saying is even people who promote uh, self-righteousness through the law, they don't keep it. They just want you to join their group. (laughs) That's what they wanted. They just wanted more people. Because the more people they had, the better they felt about themselves. They just wanted them to join their group so they could boast in their flesh. That's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Jesse went like this. I remember Dr. Kelly Varner used to say this. He said, men, religious people count nickels and noses. That's the business of religion. That's what they do. They count. See, religious people, they count the saints. But God weighs them. God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. He looks at the heart. Men count the saints. God weighs the saints. Oh, man. Say, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. (laughs) Yes, he does. Okay, verse. Let's go to verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, self-righteousness, the reason it's appealing is because people can boast in their works. Remember the story of the Pharisee? Two men went up to pray, Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus said the Pharisee you know, said, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like this man. <laughs> See, he was boasting in his own righteousness by comparing himself to somebody else. So the deception of self-righteousness is you don't compare yourself to Christ in whose image you were created, but to another fallen person to try and feel better about yourself. You want to read more about that? Go look at Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. It tells that Abraham, if he was justified by his works, he would have had a reason to boast, but not before God. Mm. But God forbid, here's what Paul says, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. His only boast was in what Jesus did for him, not what he did for Jesus. And I'm telling you, we look at Paul's life, man. To us, we go, man, he had a lot of reason to boast. I mean, look at all he accomplished. What did he write? 13 books of the New Testament? Spread the gospel to almost the whole known world? Suffered, you know, unthinkable persecution and and, and things, you know? But, you know, he did that all by the power... He didn't do that in his own strength. He did that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't even take credit for it. Hmm. He says, only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now to us, we don't realize how strange this phrase is because in uh, that day and time, the word for cross was the word crux. 
And you know, they wouldn't even say that publicly because the cross or crucifixion was the most horrific and shameful way for a person to die. In fact, they would just say that person was hung on the unlucky tree. That was the phrase they used because they wouldn't even say the word crux. And so when he said, I glory in the crux, mm, it, wasn't in the, it wasn't in the torture of Jesus that he was glorying in. He was glorying in the meaning of it. Oh, Paul was glorying in the meaning of it. That ungodly men, by faith in what Jesus did, by offering his body and pouring out his blood, could be made justified and made righteous in the sight of God as a free gift. Mm. That's what he was glorying in. That's what he was boasting about. And he was so convinced and so excited about it that he told everyone everywhere that he went about the good news. I think that the church hasn't really awakened to how good the news really is. Listen, because, listen, because you go eat somewhere good, you're going to tell everybody about it. If you really think something's good, you're going to tell people. But I think the church has been so mixed up and tied up in a mixture of law with grace that we've obscured how good the good news really is. We don't even believe it. (laughs) We're not convinced of how good this is because if we really were, we would shout it from the rooftops. Everywhere we go, we would be telling people. You remember when you first got saved? Before you got in religion? (laughs) Oh, come on now. Can we be real or not? You know, you come to Christ, you're so excited because you're a dirty, rotten sinner out there sinning it up. (laughs) You found Jesus. Man, you're so excited. You're telling everybody. Then you got involved in religion. And you're like, you know, I don't really don't want to introduce this to other people. I don't even like what I'm doing. <laughs> Come on, that's a joke. <laughs> well, you quit trusting in Jesus as your Savior. And you started trying to be your own. Oh, man. Jesus bore the burden of our salvation up the hill of Golgotha and on the tree, on the cross. And then here we are, we're trying to bear it. we're burdened down. We're like the people Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the religious Jews. He was talking to the people who had been under the yoke of the bondage of the law for their entire life. He said, come to me, and I'll put a heavier yoke on you. No, that's not what he said. He said, come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Oh, man. Why? Because a yoke is two animals working together. So when we get yoked up with Jesus, he's making our load lighter as we walk through life. 
Mm. Glory. We've been bearing it all on our own all our life. And finally, Jesus comes. He says, watch this, son. <laughs> watch how I do it. Love what the message is. It says, learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn how to walk with him. That's what it is. Learn how to trust him and learn how to walk with him in, by grace through faith. And he'll show you that the Holy Spirit will begin to empower you. And it won't be you just trying to live for God, but it'll actually become him living through you. What an experience. What an experience. God will come and live on the inside of you and live through you. Lead you and guide you in life, empower you to overcome and be more than a conqueror. Hmm, man, that is, that's good. Oh, you know what? When, when you're really telling the gospel in the simplicity, I don't know how anybody would reject it. It doesn't even make sense to me. It's the greatest gift ever offered in the history of the universe. In fact, if you're here tonight, you haven't ever made Jesus Lord of your life. Let me say this to you. There's actually nothing for you to do. Come on. <laughs> mm. But believe on the Lord Jesus and the fact that God raised him from the dead, proving that he already dealt with your sins. Confess him as Lord which he already is, whether you confess him Lord or not. You're just acknowledging the revelation of who he is. And the Bible says you pass from death to life. You're born from above. You're born of God. You're born of the Spirit. You become a new creation. You're justified in the sight of God. You're made the righteousness of God in Christ. Hmm. Glory to God. He says... By whom the, Lord, uh, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. <clears throat> See, being justified is that we are freed from the penalty of sin. Romans uh, chapter 5 says that we are saved from the wrath of God. Do you know for the believer... You know, let me just say this. Every man's destiny without Christ is the wrath of God. The coming wrath in the tribulation and then afterwards and then ultimately the final second death. But Jesus made it possible for that day to be marked off your calendar <laughs> and replaced... Instead of an expectation of wrath, he replaces it with an expectation of his glory. Oh my goodness. So you are freed from the penalty of sin. But you know what else? He says, he says by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Also, you're freed from the power of sin. Through your union with Jesus and and being uh, his death being imputed to you, you are made dead to sin. That's what Romans chapter 6 says. That's what I was looking for, honestly. Just tell you the truth. I wasn't thinking about eternity. 
I was thinking about the hell I was living in day after day after day here on earth. And when I found myself, I didn't find myself, I put myself there, but when I, <laughs> when I was in Creek County Jail and, you know, I was, you know, for the umpteenth time and, you know, addicted to drugs and just my life, just destruction. And I heard the gospel and I believed it and I confessed Jesus as Lord. I was wanting deliverance. That's what I was looking for. So my prayer was, Lord, I realize that I have rejected you and not allowed you to be a part of my life. That stops today. And this is what I said, literally. If you can do anything with this mess, here I am. (laughs) You are Lord of my life. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I was speaking from my heart. And he's been faithful. That's been uh, over 20 years now. August of 2023 was 20 years. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. The greatest thing to me was being freed from the power of sin. So that I could live the life that God intended for me to have. The life he preordained for me from before the foundation of the world. Freed me from the deception of the enemy mm, and the bondage of the flesh and of the devil. And he delivered me from the authority. He is delivered. Listen, if you're born again today, you may not even know it. He delivered you from the authority of darkness. Transferred you into the kingdom of the Son of his love. The world's crucified to you. Mm. Hallelujah. Freed from the power of sin. I told you I was going to get there. (laughs) Let's look at verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. You know what he's saying? It doesn't matter what happens in the flesh. It's what's happened in the spirit that is really important. Because people could be, these Jews could be circumcised and not a new creation. And they are not justified in the sight of God. But you could not be circumcised and be a new creation, and you are justified in the sight of God. It's not the flesh. The reason that that was in the flesh of the old covenant is because they couldn't be born again yet. But now, through the born again experience, our heart is circumcised. The flesh is cut away from our spirit now, and we are united to God in our spirit. A new creation. That's what matters. He says in verse 16, As many as walk according to this rule, what rule? Grace through faith as opposed to law and works. That's what he's been talking about the whole book. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Why, peace is the result of righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's the result. When you're justified, now you're at peace with God. The war's over. Do you know God is not mad? He's not even a little ticked off. Now, there's coming a day of wrath. 
But this is the day of grace. God's wrath has been satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Verse 17. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You know how I say it? Paul says, this issue is settled. Don't bother me with it anymore. In fact, all of the scars on my body show how committed I am to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. Verse 18, final verse. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. We got through it. (laughs) Amen. Well, Rebecca has a few questions, so I'm going to see if I can field these. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I was going to start out with a joke question. Go right ahead. That's right. Okay. So what kind of man was Boaz before he got married? (laughs) That's not about Galatians. (laughs) Ruthless. (laughs) I thought you were talking about his relatives. No. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So question, the first question. I want to look up the Greek and Hebrew meanings of words. I love learning like that. What resources um, do you use for that? That's not Galatians either. I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, okay, so you have different concordances which take the original language. uh, The English words in the Bible assign a word uh, a number to each one of those words, and you can find those and look at the original language. It gives you the root word. It gives you the definitions. It gives you a whole lot of information about that. There's different ones, Strong's, Thayer's. Uh, anyway, there's several of them. And if you get the book, it's going to be about that thick. But the wonderful thing about technology is now we can go right to click a button and you have that at your fingertips. Yeah. And so you can find many apps. What's the name of the app you use? Uh, Touch Bible. Touch Bible. There's all kinds. E-Sword, Touch Bible. Yes, there's a lot of people in here that know about what those, those are. Um, in fact, you could just go on your browser and type in interlinear, which it will take you in the scripture. It will take you right to it. And any word there, you can touch on it, and it will give you all that information. I always tell our Bible school students, somebody, that was somebody's life's work. Imagine going through and doing all that. Uh, wisdom, the wisdom of God tells me to take advantage of all that they have done <laughs> and use all of the resources that have been made available to us. So that's how you can do that. If you want more information about that, you can come see one of us. And we can share that with you. Okay, this is a, this is a tough one. When was Galatians written? Okay. And you can't look at the beginning of the book. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so it was written. That, you know, there's some discrepancies on it, but it all falls within about a six or seven year period from about 48 A.D. to 56 A.D. Some people um, disagree about whether the letter was written before Acts 15. You remember the Jerusalem Council? We talked about that. 
Some believe that it was written before. Some believe that it was written afterward. But we can get really close because Paul tells about 17 years in, in Galatians 1 and 2 after his conversion. So if you take, say, 33 AD, 17 years, that's going to put you right in that area. Okay, so it's probably around 50 AD, I would say. Depends on which theologian you're, you're talking to. But the thing to know about it is it was the first of his epistles. So it was written very early on. And the reason why was because he went out on his first missionary journey. And these were the things that he encountered. He didn't just, they didn't get solved. This was the same thing that he encountered everywhere that he went. Whether it was in Galatia, Ephesus, Corinth. It didn't matter where he went. The opposition always came from legalistic, either Jews or pagans. Okay. You, I think you might have kind of answered this one already, but why did Paul write Galatians in his own hand? Yeah, that's kind of what we talked about earlier. I believe it was just because as he would use, uh, write the salutations at the end of his letter to authenticate his letter and his writing, uh, he, because this was such a significant and important topic that he wrote the whole thing himself uh, just so they would realize just how uh, noteworthy this was. He didn't leave it up to a scribe to write it down for him. He actually grabbed the pen and wrote it himself. You mentioned that it is better to have the fruit of the Spirit than it is to have the gifts of the Spirit. Can you explain that? Mm, That's a good one. (laughs) Well, okay, so the reason that I say that is because um, the fruit of the Spirit is the nature and character of God. And you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit because obviously a gift is given. Fruit is cultivated. So when you're born again, you have your giftings, and they come natural to you. Uh, Just as an example, if you're a worship leader, you have the gift to play music or sing or whatever like that, but you can be a carnal or an immature believer and operate in your gifting. So you can actually do uh, operate in the gifts as a way of drawing attention to yourself rather than using your gifting to edify the body, which is what Paul dealt with in 1 Corinthians. So he started talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. uh, And then at the end of that chapter, he said, but let me show you a more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, he talks about agape love. So he says, this is the more excellent way. Uh, In fact, he said, you know, if I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. He said, if I can prophesy, if I have faith to move mountains, if I give all of my possessions to the poor and burn my body, if I don't do it motivated by love, it profits me nothing. So see... Uh, Then he goes on in chapter 14, and he starts talking about gifts again. But he says, pursue love and desire gifts. So he puts love first because the fruit of the Spirit is given to govern 
the gifts of the Spirit. Because God wants us to operate in his nature and his character in the administration of his power. Then we truly represent him. And we use the gifts that God gave us as he intended, which is for everyone else, not for ourselves. The gifts that we're given are given to us to benefit the body of Christ, not to promote ourselves to a place, a platform or a position or anything like that. And in fact, I'll say this. If you will pursue the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts are there. If you pursue the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit, God will put you in the places you're supposed to be. Mm, because you're going to be able to represent him accurately in the administration of his gifts. So fruit is more important. In fact, what did Jesus say when he talked about false prophets? He said, you'll know them by their gifting. No, 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 no. He said, you'll know them by their fruit. So fruit is really, love is the indication of spiritual maturity. And I could say a lot more about that, but that's basically it. Okay, this one is a little bit longer. So, uh, it's about Galatians 5.20, where they gives the whole list of all the mm-hmm. vile sins that we works. commit. <laughs> the works of the flesh. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. So, the question is, if... Not inheriting the kingdom of God happens here on earth. So if we don't inherit now because of these things, then what happens when you die um, after being saved? If you don't get to experience the kingdom of heaven on earth because of the list of the things, what does that look like when you're dead? If we can't experience it here, why would we deserve to experience it in heaven? Hmm. Okay. So, first thing I'll say is, we won't deserve to experience it in heaven. Um, but the point of what he's saying, so let me, let, me, let me open this up, because I think it's important. So, in uh, verses 19 through 21, I'll just read these. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what I was talking about is most of the time when people see will not inherit the kingdom of God because of denominational teaching, we immediately think of heaven. We immediately think that's saying you won't go to heaven. So let me ask you, can a believer, a true born-again believer, could they operate in envy? Okay, jealousy, selfish ambition. So this doesn't mean that if a believer commits or has one of these things in their life that they've lost their salvation. This, in fact, the book of Galatians isn't dealing with eternity. It's really dealing with how to walk in the Spirit in this life. So the works of the flesh, 
They are the things that are evident in a person who's walking after the flesh rather than walking after the spirit, okay? Because he goes on and he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So those are what are manifested in the person who is walking after the spirit. So these are opposite. That's what he's teaching in Galatians 5. He says, if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, they're opposite. So I was using the example of, let's say that walking in the spirit, just for an example, would be me walking in this direction toward the east. And that walking in the flesh would be me walking toward the west. Now, I can't do both at the same time. Right? So, if I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh because I'm walking after the spirit. So, he says, if you continually walk after the flesh, you're not going to experience the benefits of the kingdom of God here on the earth. Well, you're walking after the flesh, and you're producing the works of the flesh. So your life is going to have a lot of contention and envy and selfish ambition and jealousy. And it said outbursts of wrath and things like that. Well, if all of that's going on, you're not going to be experiencing the kingdom of God. Let me give you another scripture. I think it's uh, Romans 14, 17. I could be wrong on that. But it says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here on earth, the kingdom of God is an influence. It's the, it, it is the influence of heaven in our, or I would say through our life, is how we experience the kingdom of heaven now. Jesus said, uh, that the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. He said, we're not going to say, oh, it's on that mountain or it's on this mountain. He said, for the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, so the way we experience it in our life is when we walk in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest. If you're walking in love and joy and peace, you're going to experience unity and he's really, see, we take these things in, into an individual, but really he's talking to the church. Yeah. So if, if you have a church that's filled with contention and strife and, and <laughs> selfish ambition and envy and jealousy, see, apply it to the church, we're not going to experience the kingdom of heaven. Because the church is a touchstone of heaven on earth, or it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where people can come and experience God. Well, what makes the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven? God's presence. See, and so the, the intent is that we grow up, we mature spiritually, we walk in the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit, and the atmosphere of heaven, God's presence, His glory, his kingdom is able to be manifested Amen. among his people. Amen. 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 I hope that answers it. So it really it isn't God, let me say it like this, it isn't God allowing or 
like releasing the kingdom into our life. It's us operating in that system we talked about last week. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. See, we have dominion on earth. We have the choice of what kind of seeds we're going to sow. But we also are going to reap whatever seed we sow. That's what I was telling you last week. Just as physically God put Adam in a garden, spiritually God put a garden in you. And so we have to tend, guard, and keep or tend the garden of our heart. If we sow the seeds of the Spirit, we sow to the Spirit, we will of the Spirit reap eternal life. And that's not, see, that's another one of those phrases that automatically people think of heaven. But eternal life, Jesus said this. He said, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Amen. Doesn't say he's going to have. He said he has it. Because eternal life is not a quantity of life. It's not, oh, I'm going to live forever in heaven. Eternal life is a quality of life. It's God's life in and through us that we can experience now. Jesus said eternal life is to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So eternal life is an experience, not in heaven, but here now. Oh, man. But, you know, what we sow can hinder, because, listen, harvest time's coming. The good thing is, is that we can pray for crop failure. You know, there's some, <laughs> we, we can repent. Listen, hey, you sow some seeds that you didn't want to sow, repent quick. <laughs> repent, repent quick before them things germinate. <laughs> but if we continually sow, that's why he says, you know, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we don't faint. Amen. Amen. Is that all of them? No, there's one. Oh, there's one more. And I'm going to have to make a comment about this one. Sorry, guys. I didn't realize. They gave me the mic, so I'm going to say what I want. (laughs) Why would this be any different? (laughs) It's not. It's not. It's just now everyone can hear me, not just the... The few privileged individuals who sit near me. (laughs) So this is, where can we find the 613 laws? My comment is, why are you looking for laws? You need to be looking for Jesus. Okay, so now you can go ahead and answer. I'm going to make this real quick. So um, the 613 laws or commands in the Old Testament are found... Uh, with it from Genesis to Deuteronomy, mostly in Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, and then in Deuteronomy is the second reading of the law. So one of the um, Jewish um, rabbis of the like 12th century went through and counted them all. <laughs> See, so most of the time people think, oh, keeping the law is keeping the Ten Commandments. No, that's just the top ten. And most people, you know, who believe you have to keep the Ten Commandments to go to heaven couldn't tell you what they are. I would think if they're that important, you'd at least know what they are. But 
There are 600 and approximately, I don't think that's a, you know, it may not be an accurate number because some of them may be mentioned twice. Deuteronomy is the second reading. But it's close to 613 uh, laws or commands. Some are do's, some are do nots. But I'll say this too, a lot of them can't even be done today because the temple is not here anymore. A lot of those are required. You have to have the temple in operation uh, to be able to keep those. So it's impossible. In fact, in 70 AD, God allowed the Romans to come in and destroy the temple because they wouldn't move out of the old covenant and into the new. And so now it's just, it's absolutely impossible to keep uh, the law as it was written under Moses. All right? Okay, well, praise the Lord. We made it through. Amen. We are going to pray over this cloth for Jack Sanderson. Um, He is in the hospital. So if you would stand with me as we close. We're just going to pray over this. She's going to take this to him. And the precedent for this is that they put cloths on Paul and the anointing was transferred from him. They took it to sick people and they were healed. So can you all believe with me for Jack? Amen. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your word declares that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. So we just declare in the name of Jesus, healing virtue, divine life, be transferred into Jack Sanderson's body. We declare that every cell and every system of his body come into alignment with the Word of God. Submit to the truth of the Word that is settled forever in heaven, that by the stripes of Jesus we are healed. By the stripes of Jesus, Jack Sanderson is healed In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Be sure and be here Sunday as we kick off times of manifestation. Amen. There you go. Amen.